Hello, and thank you for listening to this Fun Board Council podcast. This is a 15 minute excerpt of our longer podcasts, and the full podcasts are available exclusively to Fun Board Council members via their member portal. If you like what you hear and you'd like to find out more about membership, please do contact us via our website at funboards.org. In the meantime, happy listening. Good morning, everybody. Thank you all for making the time to join us today. I think many of you know me, but for those who don't, I'm Suzanne and I oversee the communications and member engagement at FBC. In the next hour, we will be focusing on the second FCA multi-firm review of firms assessment of value reports and also cover key messages from FBC's recently released AOV impact study. Our FBC CEO, Shiv Tunisia, will lead the meeting and we're delighted to be joined by the FCA's Gary Murdoch and Zara Ellis, as well as our FBC senior advisor, Brandon Horwitz, who leads all, all things on all things AOV. Um, and many of you will have spoken to him previously. So without further ado, I will hand over to Shiv to begin today's meeting. Thank you, Suzanne. As Suzanne pointed out, the meeting this morning is going to focus very much on the second multi-firm review that the, that the FCA has conducted. And it's with great pleasure that we've got uh, Gary and Zara to share their thoughts uh, with us. Before we get them to make some opening remarks, I thought I've got two sheets of paper in front of me, one from uh, July 21, which says fund managers falling short of assessing value of their funds. This was the first review the FCA did. And then the second one, which is the one we're going to be talking about, is the one I've got here in front of me from last month, which says um, FCA finds that FBC members in particular have done a fabulous job with their assessment of value. Um, now, clearly they didn't say that. But Gary, I get the sense, and uh, I don't I don't know if this is your age showing slightly, but you think things are improving. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that. Do you want me to kick off? <laughs> yes, please. Thank you. OK. All right. Well, so uh, good morning, everybody. Um, so um, uh, Zara and I will talk for a, a few minutes about our findings. But um, what I don't want to do is just um, repeat uh, what we've written in, in the document. We're going to try and provide a little bit more colour around it, because by now I'm sure you've all read our feedback and you're in the throes of your gap analysis and you're engaging with your fellow directors on what you need to do to remediate any weaknesses ahead of your next AOV. Um, so we'll we'll I'll bring out a few headlines and then um, uh, a few additional uh, additional observations on the various considerations. So I'll, I'll start off, give a few few takeaways. Then my colleague Zara, who works alongside me on the review, will talk about quality of service and performance. And then I'll talk a little bit about economies of scale, um, AFM costs, um, and um, comparable market rates. So in terms of um, uh, some of the key highlights, I think the first headline is, um, as Shiv was alluding to, we've seen a lot of significant progress, a, a significant amount of work undertaken by firms to build out their AMB processes compared to the review we undertook in, in um, in, in 2021. So unlike then, this time around, most firms we reviewed were able to describe significant efforts to gather data and to manipulate it meaningfully to provide much better analysis of, of value under the seven considerations pillars. Um, so that's really good. Um, but um, some firs were, were still only planning to build out their processes when we met them 
So it felt like they hadn't attached the right level of priority to improving their uh, AOV processes, given that we were already 18 months into the, um, the AOV uh, rule set. And then I think the, the other headline is that um, whilst we were pleased to see much better analysis that meant firms boards were much better informed this time, the better information they had in front of them sometimes didn't lead to better decision making. Um, so in fact, we saw a number of situations where assessments appeared to us to be unreasonable given the amount of evidence um, to the contrary that was being presented to the boards and committees. So, you know, we saw firms that appeared to be either ignoring or explaining away the information that was being put in front of them, deciding that current fee levels could be justified, even though the improved information that they had raised significant questions. And our view is that um, firms that assess funds in a way that doesn't reasonably reflect the evidence that they have probably aren't complying with um, 6620. So those are the two headlines. Those are the two key takeaways I think we took um, that, 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 that we had this time. So I'll now pass over to uh, Zara to, to speak um, uh, on, to, to kick off our discussion around the, the seven considerations to talk about quality of service and performance. Thanks, Gary. Um, yeah, so I'll start um, with quality of service. So um, we saw a variety of approaches taken here and some quite innovative, as mentioned in our feedback. Um, in response to the 2021 feedback, we saw more firms incorporate an assessment of the investment process, which some did not last time. Um, and this is where we saw the innovative um, thinking around the use of RFP proposals, for instance. Um, we also saw more firms consider service quality at a fund and unit class level, um, such as considering the impacts of incorrect NAV calculations or any other breaches within particular unit classes or the funds, um, and, they, and they fed that through to their assessments, which was um, which was positive. And this is where we also saw the benefits of embedding the AOV year round um, into sort of business as usual processes, because once these incidents had been identified, um, they were noted at the time that they would need to be fed into the assessment of value process. Um, and then at the worst um, end of the scale, we saw firms not considering the quality of service provided by their dele um, delegated managers, investment processes or other affiliate companies. Um, so firms should be looking at each part of the, of the ongoing charge and assessing the quality of service received as a result of that fee um, and assess if that fee was justified. Um, and then just finally on quality of service, we still saw firms, albeit fewer firms than in 2021, um, incorporating hygiene factors into their quality assessment, um, such as low uh, complaint numbers. Um, these are standard processes um, that are expected to take place, so should not be used to justify positive um, service quality scores, but they should, they should be um, uh, incorporated if they perform poorly. Um, so I'll move on to performance now. Um, in terms of the, the methodologies used to assess performance, we did see firms use more sophisticated methodologies um, using quantitative and outcomes based approaches. Um, these considered several aspects of performance measurement, um, such as rolling recommended holding periods, the objectives and comparative market bench, um, 
benchmarks um, that reflected the investment strategies. Um, we still see many firms using capital growth objectives, but the introduction of these more sophisticated and outcomes-based frameworks, meaning that firms are not solely assessing performance in relation to that one objective and are placing less weight on it. So that's that was a good development. However, um, there were firms who had developed these sophisticated methodologies, but upon looking at the thresholds and tolerances used within those methodologies, we did question whether or not the thresholds were reasonable in determining if a fund represented good value. So, for instance, uh, we saw one fund rating a fund green, um, even if it consistently underperformed its benchmark by 100 basis points annually. Um, and when you looked at the investment policy and strategy, it noted that its purpose was to outperform the benchmark. Um, so it's it's worth so we did question we did question those methodologies even though they did appear sophisticated and outcomes based um and then some other firms um methodologies to make it very hard for a fund to be rated red so you know it, it should there shouldn't be these sort of asymmetric metrics being used um and then um pull frameworks and um, gave considerable weighting to qualitative layers um meaning that the uh, MI highlighting potentially poor performance was explained away with little justification or evidence. And one firm we came across um, spoke about um, how they considered the commercial implications of a reporting fund as being good value. Um, so you know, firms that allow commercial uh, considerations to influence any of their minimum assessment considerations are unlikely to comply with our coal rules where these conflict with our requirements. Um, so that is is worth noting. Um, in terms of the performance of multi-asset funds and fund of funds, we saw significant improvements here. Um, instead of just simply comparing other multi-asset funds, some funds have built out various tools um, that enable comparison with the performance of the markets that their funds were primarily exposed to. Uh, we saw one firm create an internal composite benchmark tool that could be flexed to reflect different asset class mixes, um, enabling the value added by asset allocation decisions or by stock picking decisions within those asset classes to be separately assessed. Um, however, we saw instances where that, that feedback hadn't been taken um, on board. People were still, firms were still comparing to um, competitor funds. Um, and we saw some firms that had improved their analysis but weren't necessarily taking better decisions with the improved information and often reverted to relying on those comparisons to their competitor funds um, to ensure a favorable assessment. Um, and then just one final point on performance um, in terms of the actions taken for performance. So we, we saw little evidence or actually no, no evidence of firms cutting fees as a result of performance. We did see firms um, consider um, cutting fees, but again, um, no, no actual fees were cut. And um, so it's just a reminder that cutting fees should be a consideration when um, determining what action should be taken um, for poor performance. But yeah, I'll pass it back over to Karen. Great, thanks Zara. Yeah, so I suppose that, that, that what, what um, we ended up calling the, the exam question uh, when we were um, uh, talking to firms, it kept on coming to the fore. So, uh, the exam question set by Col 6620, uh, which is that um, as a as a firm, you need to consider whether your fees are justified in the in the um, get given in the context of the value delivered, not just whether value is being delivered. Um, 
Okay, so um, by and large, we, we saw that firms are taking on board our message from last time that AFM costs, the AFM costs consideration invo involves assessing whether fees can be justified in the context of the costs the AFM is incurring in operating the fund, not whether the fees themselves were comparable with uh, competitor funds. So that was a, that was a major finding last time. Um, almost all of the firms revisited this time had taken that on board and were performing um, an assessment based on their costs. Uh, a, a small number of firms, though, were still confusing AFM costs with comparable market rates. Um, and then, <clears throat> when it terms, in, in terms of how firms are thinking about their costs, good firms were undertaking fully fledged profitability analysis to allocate costs uh, at a at a fund and a share class level. And as, as we would expect, these revealed significant variations in profitability between funds, with larger funds typically generating much higher profit margins than smaller funds. And then other funds, that was, that was, the, that was what we saw as the good practice um, emerging uh, since July 21. Other, other firms, though, had deprioritized building a costing model um, that would enable them to, to allocate their costs meaningfully and had continued to allocate material costs using relative size of funds. And, and we weren't at all surprised to find that the variations in profit margins between large and small funds for these firms were significantly smaller. And that meant that the board and committee level discussions about economies of scale and AFM costs were less informed. And then finally, other some of the firms that had built meaningful cost um, models, allocation models, um, some of them uh, had built them out but then not used the fund level profitability information that this provided um, to inform their assessment. So uh, they built the tool, they generated the MI, uh, but then they decided to allow an assessment of, guess what, comparable market rates, but, uh, um, comparable funds, peer funds, uh, fees, to override um, what what that information was um, suggesting to them around economies of scale and AFM costs. And that concerns us because we expect each consideration in 6621 to be given due attention uh, and, and for uh, a conclusion to be reached around each consideration before an overall conclusion is reached. And we don't expect um, AFM costs or economies of scale to be overridden by um, another consideration, so, so uh, typically um, comparable market rates. And then some firms um, suggested to us that net economies of scale didn't arise on their funds as they grew in size. So they recognised that there were economies of scale, but suggested that those were balanced out by increased costs. Um, so, for example, one firm cited extra costs associated with managing capacity constraints as funds grew um, and, and yeah, argued that these uh, out, these balanced out the, um, the, the, the economies of scale they were experiencing. So we asked them to show us how they concluded that, but they weren't able to quantify these additional costs and they weren't able to show us how they had weighed those costs against the economies of scale that they, they were acknowledging existed. So 
Um, hence the, the point in our report that we expect firms to be able to justify the arguments that they make. We hope you enjoyed that uh, 15 minute excerpt. If you did and you'd like to find out more about how you can access the full recording uh, or about FBC membership in general, please contact us via our website at funboards.org.